It's fine. But yes, here we are at the halfway point in this series on the big story of the Bible. This is really exciting because we're we're aiming to get a, a big, broad understanding of what's going on in the whole story. And from that, to be able to see how all of the individual stories, both familiar and unfamiliar, fit together, how the parts relate. Back in January, I don't know if you remember this, we had a big overview of the whole story in one week. That was quite exciting. And for the last four weeks since then, we've been looking at the ideas of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. These four big themes, how they play out in the Old Testament. So now we're going to turn our attention to the New Testament. It's exciting, right? Um, We're going to see how all these ideas that we've heard about how they find their culmination and their fulfillment in Jesus. But before we dive into that, I thought this would actually be quite a good opportunity to just quickly summarize the story so far. How have we got to this point? So we've seen how God is the creator of everything, all things physical and spiritual, all of reality, the things we can see, the things we can't see. He made it all out of nothing, And as the pinnacle of his creation, he made humans. He made us in his image, and he breathed his life into us. He gave the humans a beautiful garden home, and he gave them a purpose, which was to tame this wild new world and to bring God's rule, that is his kingdom, to bear in it. We've seen how there were were boundaries. God told the humans not to eat the fruit from one tree in the garden but that they were tempted to reject God and to go their own way. And that's what they chose to do. Their relationship of love and trust with God was broken. And as a consequence, they were cut off from God. And without that relationship with God, who's the source of all goodness, they saw sorrow, division, sickness and death entering into their lives. We saw how from that point on, things only got worse. As time went on and the humans spread out into the world, the... um, they continued to, to see all of these sorrows and sicknesses, death and sin. As the humans spread out, they were continued down into a spiral that was getting worse and worse. But God had not given up. He'd not given up on his people. He promised that he would deal with the sin and restore the relationship that he had with people. Out of the mess, he chose one man named Abraham He promised Abraham a great family and said that this family would be his vehicle to bless the whole world. And this family grew up to become the nation of Israel. This is the family that God entered into a special covenant relationship with. God showing his love for them in many ways. Rescuing them out of slavery. Defeating their enemies. Providing everything they needed. Food, water, protection and a home, the promised land. And for their part, in return, the nation of Israel were called to live distinctly, different from the other nations, enacting God's principles of justice and mercy as they were given to them in God's law. They were blessed to be a blessing to the world. But they weren't able to live up to this calling. They were very quick to stop trusting God and to turn away and worship idols. They failed to keep the way of life that God had given them. They had ups and downs. They had good leaders and bad leaders. 
But as time went on, they rejected God, and so they lost the blessings of the covenant God had made with them. They ended up a defeated people, back in slavery under powerful empires, and taken out of their homes. Even when some of them did turn back to God, and they were allowed back into the promised land, they were still under the rule of foreign empires, and the presence of God seemed really far away. But God had still not given up on his plan to fix the mess of humanity through his relationship with the family of Abraham. As all of this was happening, as the story was unfolding, he was speaking to the prophets, hinting at what was to come. He spoke of a figure who was going to bring the fulfillment of all of his promises, who would finally bring God's true justice and mercy, who would be a blessing to the whole world. But how this person would also suffer greatly be broken by the very evil he opposed, even as he overcame it. It was all very mysterious, and as yet, unfulfilled. And this is where we find ourselves as we enter into the New Testament. We're with a nation that feels crushed by the weight of its enemies as much as by its own inadequacy and sin. With the people holding on to the promises of God from long ago, even as they feel further away from fulfillment than ever. Into all of this steps Jesus. Because you see, Jesus didn't just appear out of nowhere. He saw himself as part of, and actually the culmination of, the whole history of God's plan for humanity, as we see it in the Old Testament. And it can be easy to miss that, miss the big picture, to get caught up in the immediate story, forget where it's all going in the big story, I think that's especially true for the stories that we know and love well, the ones that we've heard since childhood sometimes. But then it can become a story of God just sort of reacting to some kind of human mess, God in damage limitation mode. We can think of it as God trying time and time again to find someone, anyone who will truly love him and trust him back, but it never quite working out. If we look at it this way, Jesus might become just another response to how bad things have got. As if God's saying, I've tried all these other things. I've tried and tried and tried and nothing's worked. Now I'm going to have to come down and get serious. Come in myself. I don't think this is the right way to read the Old Testament. And it's not the way that Jesus read it. He knew that it wasn't just a series of random stories. But it was God carefully putting into place his plan for the world. This is a God who has a purpose for the world he created. It's an unshakable God who isn't put off when things go wrong when we choose not to cooperate. So it's a story of how God is going to get what he always wanted, a world flourishing with God and humans ruling it in relationship with him. And in a surprising way, he goes about making it happen. Everything we've seen in the story so far, the choosing of one family, God making a covenant with them, him rescuing his people, giving them the law, the kings, good and bad, the prophets, all of it. These were all parts of the one plan, preparing the way for God to finally win what he wanted. And that's the Old Testament that Jesus saw himself as the culmination of. This is why he said things like, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And in another place, He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. 
God showed what he wanted in the beginning. Humans living in the world he made, bringing God's rule, his kingdom, fully to bear in it. Living in intimate relationship with him. That's the picture we get of creation in Genesis 1 and 2. And our messing things up didn't change that. God is not going to settle for anything less than that. So when Jesus appears in the Gospels, there's an excitement and a tension. Is this what we've been waiting for? God's plan finally coming to fruition? As we see the story unfold, the answer we get is a resounding yes. Jesus shows us what it means to be a fully flourishing human, fulfilling the potential of Genesis 1 and 2. Everything he does flows out of his relationship with the Father. Everything he does, he does in the power of the Holy Spirit. He brings new life, healing, repentance, the things of God's kingdom, wherever he goes. This is it. In fact, we see explicitly that Jesus, like no character before him, actually stands up against the temptation and trusts God. At the very start of his ministry, in the wilderness, Jesus is tested by Satan to not trust in God's plan and God's provision, but to take power on his own terms. It's like his own version of Adam and Eve's test in the Garden of Eden. But unlike Adam and Eve, Jesus passes the test. Again, at the end of his life, we see Jesus in a garden. He knows that he's about to be arrested and killed. He's on his knees in anguish, wishing it could be another way. But he says, not my will, but yours, God, be done. In that ultimate act of obedience, he went to the cross offering himself up as an atoning sacrifice. And his death and resurrection made it possible for each of us to join back in with that original plan too. Although I'm not going to say any more about any of that because that will be spoilers for future weeks. Don't want to step on anyone's toes here. So looking back on what Jesus had done, the Apostle Paul wrote this in his letter to the Romans. This is chapter 5. Verses 18 to 21. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, that's a pretty dense passage. I understand that. It's, um, there's a lot to take in there. But if you ask me, that's like, that's up there. That's one of the best summaries you could give that probably has been given of the gospel and what it means. This is Paul joining the whole story together, making the comparison from Jesus right back to the beginning. It's comparing Jesus, who was the only one able to do what was right, that act of righteousness, to live and die, fully trusting and obeying God. Comparing that with Adam and Eve, His failure to trust and obey set the whole problem of sin in motion. And by extension, the rest of us. 
have all been tested to trust and obey God and who've all been found wanting somewhere along the way. As it says, we have been made sinners by our own choices. Seeing this view of the story also puts the other parts back in in their proper perspective too. The law was never supposed to be the solution to the problem. It was designed to show how bad the problem really is. It was designed to come alongside that the trespass might increase. And yet, many in Jesus' day were expecting that obeying the law was going to save them. This is the mindset that Paul himself had had, that he'd had to reject as part of his turning to Jesus. But now for Paul, it's clear. The story comes to a climax in Jesus, in his arrival, his life, his death, his resurrection. That's where we see God's good plan for the world at work. Exactly how it all works, what that means, how, how it changes our lives, we're going to have a great time looking at over the next three weeks. But for now, what does all of this mean for us? How does it shape how we read the story of God in the Bible, how we live out our lives? To say that God has a plan, it can kind of go a few different ways. You can say God has a plan, and what you mean by that is God has a plan, therefore there's nothing I can do about it. I've just got to sit back and take whatever comes. It's a response you know, of resignation, fatalism. If God's decided what he's going to do, just let it happen. But the truth that we see through Jesus is that God's plan has always been to work in the world with and through humans, normal people like you and me. Jesus showed us what it looked like for a person to fully cooperate with God's plan, perfectly living out the will of the Father. This isn't God has a plan, so I'll just accept whatever happens. This is God has a plan, and it's for me to help spread his kingdom on earth. So let's get on with it. It's an awesome privilege, but it's also a weighty responsibility. Our choices and decisions have eternal consequences, not just for ourselves, but for the world. Yes, God is going to have his plan win out in the end. Nothing's going to derail that. At the end of the story, we see a vision of a future restoration of everything, the wiping away of all sin and death. Again, more detail in future weeks. It's really hard not to just like trample all over future talks here, but I'm trying. That's not in doubt. But what part each of us is going to play in that is to be decided. We can choose to walk in the way of Jesus, to submit our will to God's, to creatively work out how to bring God's kingdom more fully into the different places we find ourselves. But we can actually also choose not to do that. This is what the Apostle Paul says this time in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Each one of us should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. 
It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So, all of that said, I think there's, there's just some questions that we can ask ourselves. Am I going to choose to join in with God's plan for the world? Am I going to fully cooperate? Laying down all the things that I know aren't part of that. Am I going to be willing to lay down even the things that might in themselves be good, but that are going to get in the way of the better things? Am I going to choose to submit myself? Am I going to choose to learn from Jesus how to actually do this well? To be a person who carries the kingdom of God and brings it to bear in the places around me? And where can I be an agent for God's plan in the world? Where are the places that God is calling me 